We're just two weeks to go now, so I'm not going to do any more big intros on what it's about because we've almost done. Um, but if you want to find out, then click on the downloads. But suffice to say, what we're really looking at is church life through the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah who went to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we're looking at the city of Jerusalem as a really a foreshadowing of the church, the city bride um, that we are a part of, the bride of Christ. And we're going to be looking today at chapter 9 and chapter 10 and um, many, many different aspects of city life are covered in these chapters. Um, and so rather than drilling down into just one, I'm going to dip into, uh, we're going to look at four main things that are really come out and jump out at us through these two chapters, chapter 9 and chapter 10 uh, of Nehemiah. Um, last week we looked at how the, the wall was rebuilt and, and then the people gathered together and there was a huge celebration where they, uh, they remembered all that God had done for them, all that he had brought them from and they celebrated by living in booths do you remember that from last week? And uh, we had fun looking at that. Um, but uh, this week we're going to pick it up. We'll pick it up, like I say, from chapter 9. I just want to pray before we start. Ask that God would really help me today to speak well and help you to hear what he has to say. So Father, we just again want to come to your word with humility, um, with reverence. Um, Lord, with expectation that you will speak to us through it, that it's alive, that it's a living word. We thank you for that. We thank you that your words are alive. and Wow, Lord, Father, thank you for every precious soul in this room, every, every life, from wherever the people, people have come from, whatever's been going on, whatever, whatever their story is, whatever they've brought in and are going to take out, I pray that you would touch their hearts during this time. Holy Spirit, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would go to work, please. Oh God, I pray that you would just break that wrong fear, kind of that whole uh, wrong trepidation of what you might say. I pray for hearts that are so convinced of your goodness that there just be a longing to find out what you're going to say because it's liberating. So we pray, let, let, let the freedom of the Spirit come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, okay, well, what we've got in chapter 9 is we've got the gathering. And, uh, uh, and it's really chapter 9 and chapter 10 really cover this big gathering. The people of God, they come together again. They've been in their booths, had their feast. And then uh, it seems um, that a couple of weeks later, um, they gather back together again in verse 9. And um, there's this beautiful passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but this beautiful passage from really f- from the start of chapter nine through to verse 28, where where there's just this lovely, wonderful prayer that's uh, and, and this uh, that's lifted up to God, and it just covers these incredible elements of God's character. And um, I'm going to pull some of those things out. I'm going to read some elements from it. But really, I want to say this. The first thing I want to pull out is that the people of God here, they gather to make much of the Lord. They gather to make much of God. That is why we do what we do every week. That's why we sing these songs and, you know, we shout our hallelujahs and we celebrate and we get excited because what we are making much of the Lord. We are, and it's so important that we do that because we tend to be forgetful people or people that are quite very limited in our kind of consciousness. So it doesn't take long when things start going bad for us to lose sight of God and his goodness, his glory, his faithfulness. And our heads can go down, can begin being consumed and distracted with other things. So we gather to make much of God. And I want to just pull out a few things from this prayer of praise to show you some things we need to just remember about the Lord, just so to make sure we're anchored in who we know God is biblically. The first thing we read is this, you are the Lord, you alone. He is unique. 
that the, the, the God that we come to worship is not a God of many other gods, and we've, many, and we've chosen this one. We don't believe that. We believe with our whole hearts, those of us who are born again, those of us who have come to know the Lord Jesus, we believe you are the Lord, you alone. That there is a unique place that God has that no one else can rightfully challenge or have because he is the creator of all things. We don't believe in, in, in a God who has been made out of the stuff of the universe. We believe in a God who has made the stuff of the universe. And so he's set in creation. So we don't believe that creation is divine. We believe that God alone is divine, without beginning and without end, that he is eternal, that there's no one like him, that he repeats again and again throughout the scripture, through the prophets, I am the Lord, there is none like me. I am the Lord and besides me there is no other. I am the beginning and I am the end. And that he started all things and he will bring all things to conclusion. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that Jesus comes and reveals fully. That he is the God of all flesh. Now we have great regard for creation because God made it. So although it's not divine, we do believe it's sacred. So we don't believe creation is just utilitarian. Just do what you like with it. No, it's sacred. We're called to steward it as those made in God's image. Massive calling on us to do that. But it's not divine. We don't worship creation. And we separate the creator from the creation. And we say, actually, the Bible says that our biggest problem is that we've turned away from the creator and turned towards creation in worship. And that we end up worshipping created things, whether that's ourselves or somebody else or an idea or philosophy or a hobby or just a good thing. We make it a God thing. And that's the heart of our problem. And so it's really important that we grapple with this and come to terms with this that is unique. Then they go on and they say, You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. So God is creator and sustainer. So it's not just the God who created and then has left it, but he's created all things and he sustains all things, which is why the Bible says that he upholds all things by his powerful word. So you're being upheld at this very moment. You're being upheld by the word of God. He is involved in his creation. Creation pulsates with his glory, with his presence, with his life. It's really important that we understand that. That's the God that we worship. Just to, just to, just to remember that and to remind that it's the God who has disclosed himself in the Bible. That is the God of creation. He made all things and he sustains all things and all things are his. Then they go on, they say, you are the Lord God who chose Abraham and you made within the covenant and you've kept your promise for your righteousness. He's a God who makes promises and keeps promises. He's a God who, and it's beautiful. This is why we love things kind of like um, truthfulness. This is why we love things like marriage. This is why we're into that stuff because it's covenant. It reflects the nature of God. When you make a covenant to someone, it's a big deal. When you come into a, a solemn agreement with someone, take for example a marriage, it's a huge moment. It's not something that you go into lightly because you recognize, wow, I'm making, a, I'm making a covenant with this person. And it shows us that God being a God of covenant takes salvation seriously, takes us seriously, takes his relationship with us seriously. He's not casual. God isn't casual about, oh yeah, fine, yeah, well, yeah, well. No, sealed in blood, he has made a covenant to win us, forgive us, reconcile us to himself and be with us forever. And so if you come to know this God, then it's a serious thing. It's not something to take lightly. It's not something that you dip in and out of, depending on how you're feeling or what day of the week it is. This, this, is, this is covenant. This is the most important decision you will ever make to know the Lord. To be in a covenant relationship with God. But it reveals his character. 
And it's our rock because it means we know he is faithful. The Christian does not live by laws primarily, but by promises. The Christian life isn't primarily, God, tell me what to do. It's, God, what have you promised? Now I'm going to live by faith. In what you, I'm going to believe you're going to do that. That's the Christian life. It's a dynamic thing. It's like, God, what have you promised in the Bible? Wow, that's for me? That's really, you promised that? So therefore, I can lean my entire weight on that, that you will provide, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, that when I confess my sins, you will forgive me. This is huge. Do you promise all these things and it's impossible for you to lie because you are the truth? This is the God of the covenant. Faithful. Utterly faithful. Then they go on and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and you performed signs and wonders and you made a name for yourself and they get into the story of the Exodus that when Abraham's ascendants, the Israelites, were in Egypt and they were made slaves and were slaves there for hundreds of years and God heard their cry and he came and he rescued them with mighty signs and wonders and miracles. He opened the Red Sea and he brought them out. And it's a picture of wonderful salvation. But it's interesting, notice the terminology, you made a name for yourself. At the heart of God saving you is making a name for himself. The heart of God's salvation actually isn't that you get let off. Isn't even that you get eternal life. It's pretty high up there, but the heart of it is that he makes a name for himself. It's God-centred. It's from him, through him, and to him. It's not about you and me. It's about him. This whole thing is so that primarily his glorious grace is praised forever. That we spend eternity genuinely amazed, not making ourselves praise him, genuinely amazed, look at what you've done, look at who you've made me, look at what you've restored me to, look at what you've brought me into, brand new heavens, brand new earth forever, with no more mourning or crying or tears or pain, and it's all a gift, and I did nothing to deserve it, and you covered every base and just invited me into it. You are incredible. And to be able to be face to face with you and see you in your glory, wow. So our hearts are thrilled but the big deal is, is that fundamentally God is being glorified through his creation. That's what it's about. It's about him. It's for him. And he goes on. And then you came down on Mount Sinai and you gave them rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. We're going to look at commandments later. So I'm going to leave that for now. But he's a God who gives commands. We'll look at that in the next section. And then... Provision. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought water for them out of the rock. He's the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh. That's one of his covenant names. I, will prov- I am the Lord who provides for you. We've seen those wonderful songs that have been written for us about his provision that he will provide. That if you are one of his, you are his responsibility. You know that? Did you know that? Is anyone awake today? Flip. It's like no one's here. If I see my children panicking because they're like, I don't, I don't think dinner's coming. There's no, there's no, it's like 7.30 and the dinner hasn't come. At that point, what do I do? I step in to reassure them that it's all on course. Why? Because they're my responsibility. They're not their own responsibility. They're my children. They are my responsibility. You are his responsibility. Let him look after you. Let him provide for you. Let him be all that he is for you. Sometimes Christians don't. They, they insist on figuring it out. They'll say a prayer, but then they're going to figure it out. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing things and planning, but at its heart, you know what I'm talking about? It's a heart thing. 
Are you going to let him pray? Is it coming out of a place of rest and trust? You know he's got it in hand. Or is there this kind of restless anxiety eating away at you? You're not trusting him. You're not allowing him to be all that he wants to be for you, your dad. Some of you are self-made men and women. And he's going to try and help you undo that. (laughs) Because it's rooted in fear. He He won't come through. What if he doesn't? He will. But what if? He will. He must. He must. One way or another. And I can't answer every question of the universe. I don't st- well, what a- I've, re- I've absolutely resolved in my heart that he's my provider. And one way, or the other, one way or another, he will and he does. And he does. He does. But don't disqualify yourself from that just through kind of just like stubborn unbelief. Because you can. You can carve out your own path. Well, see, God didn't, but you wouldn't even trust him. God, believe God. God, believe God. And then finally, possession. You told them to go and possess the land you'd sworn to give them. He wants stuff. He wants to give us loads of stuff, loads of good stuff. Why? So that we can do loads of good stuff for his glory with it. You know that? He has a promised land for us as his people, an inheritance for us, the inheritance of the wonderful Holy Spirit primarily so that through the power of the Spirit we can live a glorious life for Jesus. Some some believers are kind of scared of uh, like the fact that God wants to give us a lot of stuff. He wants to give you loads of stuff. He wants to give you all that you need so you can do every good work. All right? It's not, it's, not, it's not he wants to give you all, your, all, the, all, all loads of stuff so you can just kind of store it up and pile it up and be selfish. No, he wants to equip, equip you for every good work so he wants to give you loads of stuff. So as long as you're in that place of saying, Lord, I want it to flow through me. I want to be a conduit of your blessing. I don't want to hold it all up. Now, Lord, bless me because I want to be a greater and greater blessing. What I do have, I'm going to use for your glory. And now keep it coming, Lord, because I, I want to be someone you can trust with loads and loads of resources. That's what God wants to do. So I believe in the prosperity gospel. I do. I do. Psalm 1 says that you trust in the Lord in order that you'll do, you'll prosper. I believe in that. But that person is not doing it so that they can hoard up treasure or so they can be rich. Now the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't love money. Love God. That he might prosper you, bless you, that you might be a blessing. That's the plan of God. Now I know that for some people... They are rich in this life. If that's you, there's a calling on you not to put your trust in that, but to be very generous with all that God has given you. Absolutely. For some, not quite. We're not, not blessed in the same way. But whatever you have, you're called to be a blessing with it. God wants to do you good. I, don't, I want to shout it from the rooftops because sometimes I think, I don't know whether people believe this. Or whether they're somehow concerned that, oh no, but, you know, I don't know, let's not say that too loud, because what if someone hears who kind of get, takes it the wrong way and ends up being really selfish? God can deal with that. God can deal with that. He wants to do us good, because he wants to do a load of good through us. And so we're going to let him. We're going to let him and believe him. So these are just some truths about God that come out for this wonderful prayer in verse 28. And then, you see, through little throughout this story, though, is the performance of God's people, and it's not that impressive. Lots of forgetfulness, lots of treachery, lots of blasphemy, lots of grumbling, lots of downright spiritual adultery turning to other gods. It's a real mess. It's a real pickle. And so listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 33, he says this. You have been righteous in all that has come upon us, 
For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they didn't serve you or turn away from their wicked works. Behold, we're slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. We're slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please and we are in great distress. There's this moment where suddenly they begin to confess sin. The man who's praying here just lifts up this amazing, wonderful praise and all the way through it's littered with the people of God's kind of double-mindedness and turning away and mistrust. And in the end he says, we've just sinned wickedly against you. And now as a result of that, we are slaves in this promised land that you promised us. We have to pay tributes to all these powerful kings because they own us. Because of our sins. And they confess their sins. So the people of God gather to make much of the Lord, but we also gather to confess our sin. I want to talk about confessing our sins. I want to spend a little bit of time on that today. I think it's really important that we do. You know, I think sometimes people think that confessing your sins, especially to someone else, is a last-ditch thing. It's like, I've tried everything. I have been to every class, every course, every psychotherapist, and I'm still struggling. I've got to tell someone. I've got to tell another believer. It's like the last worst thing you could ever do. Hey, it's so unbiblical. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, and funnily enough, the context is about fellowship. So fellowship with God, but also fellowship with one another. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The New Testament talks about confessing sins, and it's not just to God, it is to one another. Now some of you that have kind of on a bounce back from the Catholics and are like, where is this going? We're going to set up a little booth for confessionals. We like booths. We saw that last week. But not, we, won't, we don't do the thing where you go and speak to the priest and all of that. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest and he's our mediator. So we don't do that. But part of God's provision for us is fellowship, whereby we can phone someone up, meet with someone, gather around the bread and wine and say, do you know what? I am in trouble in this area. I'm struggling. I'm being tempted here badly, or I've fallen. That's part of Christian life. So that your brother or your sister can get alongside you and can bear your burden. It's your load, it's your responsibility ultimately, but they can bear your burden and say, come on, let's walk out of this together. Let's stand together, let's pray, and can encourage you. And very often when that doesn't happen, the whole thing stays in the dark, And it remains so horribly powerful in your life because it's hidden in the dark. And it's when you bring it out, often the power is broken. Confession of sin before God, absolutely. But also at times and not once a year. You know, part of our lives is is that we get with one another and we say, "I'm, I'm blowing it here. Again. And for us to be skilled and uh, spiritual with one another so that we are gentle with one another, but also we're not just saying, hey, fine, it's no problem. We're able to really say, what's this about? Why, are you, why, are you, why have you fallen there again? And help one another. That we're to be, we're to, that's, how, that's what we're to do. That's how we're to be with one another. It's walking in the light. We can miss it for two reasons. The first reason is this, is that you have not understood what being a Christian is. You thought it was just being a nice person. Act nice. 
Act nice and smile a lot. And bring cakes once every six weeks. Hi, yeah, hi, fine, how are you? Fine, great, fine. It's more than that. It's, it's recognising that you are broken by sin. And you've been made whole in Christ, but you still limp a bit. We all still limp a bit. <laughs> that we are not yet the full image of Jesus Christ. Am I right? There are bits missing. There are sharp bits that need knocking off. There are immature bits. There are bits that are a bit cranky. We've all got our funny bits. And you know what? It's important that we recognise that's the case. This is not a club for people who have got it all together. It's a church. People that have come to Christ and found mercy from Christ and live out of that mercy and grace daily. So that's the first way we get it wrong. When we, when we get it right, we're like, well, that's what we are, then, we, then we, can, we can begin to learn how to do it. The second way we miss it is this. It's where we begin to think, actually, sin doesn't really matter anymore. What's happened is, because we live in such a tolerant culture, we've kind of made God in our own image, and he's become a tolerant God. He doesn't like sin, but you know what? He understands. He's kind of, you know, he just he doesn't like it, but he knows. It's tough out there. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is furious at sin. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He hates sin just as much. He's the God who struck Uzzah down when he touched the Ark of the Covenant to try and steady it. He's the same. He hasn't changed. He's the God who who commanded death as uh, the the sentence for certain sins. Well, ultimately, sin, the wages of sin is all sin leads to death, ultimately. Because it's so hateful to God. He hates it. He's as holy as he's ever been. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Some people say, well, I like the Jesus stuff, don't like the Paul stuff. He's all, you know. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone. You need to understand this. Otherwise you end up making a God in your own image. You end up creating something that just ends up looking, oh, this is not a coincidence. He's just like me. <laughs> wow, well, I never. We get offended at the same things and we like the same things. This is incredible. Who would have thought it? It's idolatry. We've got to understand that the cross itself speaks of God's hatred for sin as much as it speaks of his love for us. It speaks of both in the same way. If sin wasn't so serious, do you think his one and only son would have had to have gone through that to have secured our forgiveness? It shows the seriousness of this stuff. It's powerful, it's potent, and it's nasty. And this is why it takes such jealous, strong, mighty, holy love to overcome the sin that gripped us and that we were governed by. This is why this gospel is so potent, because it breaks the power of sin over our lives. We still sin, but we're no longer under the power, the rule, the reign of it. We're under the reign of grace now in Christ Jesus. So we can learn by the power of the Spirit to walk out of habitual sins. And we're always learning on the way, always growing, making mistakes. We all stumble in many ways, but we're no longer under the rule and reign of sin. We're under a different power, a different government now. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Hallelujah. So this is really important that we remember this stuff. So here's the thing then. Does God still give commands to Christians? Or does he just give suggestions? 
I think a lot of Christians think, because we're under grace, God just gives, God says like, do you know what, I'd really rather if you live like this, but if you don't, no biggie. It's grace. <laughs> yeah? Do you understand? It's like, well, it's changed. Has it? Let's look at how it's changed. Because I want to suggest to you, God is still the God of commands, not the God of suggestion. So what's the difference in between law and grace? Here's the difference. Under the law, it was this. Do these things and you will live. Okay? If you, if you fulfill these laws and these rules, you will live. If you don't, you'll die. That's why we were condemned under the law. None of us are perfect. The new covenant, the covenant under, in Jesus Christ is this. Not do these things and you will live. Live! And do these things. You are brought to life by a gift of God's grace. You are born again in a moment when you cling to Jesus. When you come to Christ and lay the burden of your sin at the cross, and you turn away from that and cling with your whole heart to him, and you put your trust in him, in that there's that new life that comes, and you are made brand new, and you are alive to God, you're justified, which means legally, God declares you righteous, you're adopted as one of his children into his family, you know him, you're reconciled with him, he gives you his Holy Spirit as a gift, just happens all by grace. Okay? And now God says, Now do these things. And you can, why? Because these laws are now written on your heart because you've been made alive. And because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's not God's suggestion that you still know more. It's God's command. Still know more, get a job so you can share. It's not God's suggestion that you don't sleep around. It's God's command that you stop that and get married if you want to have sex. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's vital you understand this. Serious stuff. Done by the power of his grace and the Holy Spirit. You're able to do it. How, man, how am I doing this? Because I've been made alive miraculously by his grace. Yeah? But it's serious. Remember the poor. You don't stop that selfishness. It's not... Get it, it's not about you. You've been brought out of that by his grace. It's, oh, you get it now, right. It's about him, his glory, and his purposes on the earth. Get caught up in it. It's not a suggestion. It's the purposes of God. It's what he's purchased you for. Come on. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. How, how can he do He's God. That's the point. It's not a club, it's a church. We've got to understand that in the heart. It's very, very important. Because then we realise, I've got to confess this sin because this isn't okay to just be living with this. It's not, it's not okay to just... Now, as I go on as a Christian, over these next... However much longer I've got, till, till I get to glory, right? Things will come up. Oh man, yeah, God will show me. That's not much like Jesus, got to deal with it. Things will come up. Yep, that's the Christian life. But if I'm deliberately harbouring and holding on to sin, and sins that I'm perfectly aware of, but I'm keeping a hold of them, that is serious stuff. That is, and it's not, I'm not trying to put the frighteners on you. You know, I've got nothing to, I want you, I want you to know this is serious stuff. Okay? You've got to take your stand before him in that. And see him with his pierced hands and his, all that, you know, all that he went through to win you to himself. You, you've got to get that. It matters to God. So they gather to make much of God, gather to confess their sin, and then this one's a short one. They gather to look at their lives and make some choices. 
So it says here in, um, in, in, in verse 28 of uh, chapter 10 now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God, uh, Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we won't buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day and we'll forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So they're looking at their lives and they're saying, you know what, out of what God's done for us, we're going to make some really practical choices. For them, it was, it was about purity. They weren't going to join themselves in marriage with those of other races, not because they were racist, it wasn't an ethnic thing. What it was, was these other nations worshipped other gods. So if you got married, you married into their worshipping of other gods. That's what, that's what that was about. It wasn't a racist thing. Okay? It was a, oh, you worship those gods and we get married, we're going to just kind of syncretize, we bring our God, you bring your God. No, there's only one God. Yeah? And we want to bring our children up in a godly way for his glory, not joined with some other man-made God. So it was about purity. For them it was about rest. The Sabbaths were a big deal under that covenant now. We're no longer under the Jewish Sabbath. Absolutely, we're not under that. However, rest is a big deal to God. Rest is a big deal. You've you you're going to follow the Lord. You've got to work out this whole thing of rest because it's a really, really important thing. It doesn't glorify God to just go all out stressing it 24-7. And, and also, they, the, the year of Jubilee, every seventh year, the, the debts would be cancelled. They said, we're going to, it's a big deal, compassion. So you've got to, I just want to, I can't go into everything, but I want to just say this. When we gather, it's not just for an emotional kind of deal. It's so that we make some choices about our lives. And we say together, this is going to be a big deal. I'm going to do, I'm going to make some choices there. It's really important. Otherwise, we end up being hypocrites, don't we? We sort of gather, sing songs, go back and nothing changes. And God ends up saying things to, the, there were situations like that in the Old Testament. And God says, I hate your gatherings. I hate them. Why? Because they, he said, you don't care about the poor. You don't care about other people. You just tread all over people and you come together and act all spiritual. And I hate it. God hates that. He wants just. He says, let justice roll down like rivers. Yeah, he wants our hearts to be filled with compassion. Well, when we're out there, we're the same as when we're in here. It's really important, massively important stuff. And then finally, they gathered to give. So verse 35 to 39, this is our last point here, then we're going to do our special offering. Um, Verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit and of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. And they go on, firstborn, first fruits, first, 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 first. And then I love this, the final verse of chapter Final part of the final verse of chapter 10. We will not neglect the house of our God. We're not going to, because you can, you know, you can kind of be really anti the church, or you can not be that, but just neglect it. It's like, well, I'm, I'm doing this. We will not neglect the house of God. We won't neglect the church. And um, this giving's an important thing. Um, I want to, sp- we don't speak much on giving. I think we sort of decided right near the start we wouldn't do a load of stuff on it on Sundays because a lot of people come from churches where they've been really burnt around giving. They come from churches where there's been mismanagement of money or people have been put under real heavy pressure to give every week or every sermon's about money or whatever. And we thought, man, we really want to be aware of that. you know. Um, so probably sometimes we haven't even spoken much about it at all with the occasional 
thing about an offering. So I'm going to just say a few things, then we're going to go for our offering. Uh, An important reason to give is this. Um, There's lots, but here's one to really mull over. Apart from the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about nothing more than money. You read the Gospels. Spoke about the kingdom of God. Most, 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 that was his primary theme. Next, money. Wow. And the reason why is this, is that he said, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And he wants your heart. He wants your heart. Because if, if, if Jesus gets your heart, he's got you. And then we can run together. Ah, running with Jesus. But the money, the, 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 the wallet, the pocket, it's a big deal when it comes to heart. He wants your heart. You can't separate the two. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't, you can't serve both God and mammon, which was like, it was a name for like a, the God of money. You can't serve. He said you'll end up loving one and hating the other because they challenge one another constantly. You're trying to serve God and serve money. You're going to get in big trouble. In, in your own heart, you'll just end up thinking, oh, God's really winding me up because he keeps talking about giving and being generous and being reckless and believing and trusting him financially. And do you know what? I just want to get that so I can have that and have that, my precious. You know, so that can happen. Yeah? You can't serve both. Once your heart. Money either serves you as you serve Christ or you serve it. Money's neutral. It's not bad or good, but in your hands, it either serves you as you serve Jesus, so it's something for God, or you end up serving it. Now, the way we approach giving here, number one, we're not legalistic, so we're not doing that thing of, you know, you don't give, you are cursed. We're not doing all that. That's not discipleship. I'm sorry, that is not how you help someone grow to maturity. That is how you make someone feel guilty and bring them into some kind of weird superstition. Is there a blessing that comes from giving? Yes. Yes. Of course there is. But God wants to meet you where you are and help you come to, to, come to see that. He's a good dad. He wants to just help you and teach you and help, help you grapple with this stuff and understand it. So we're not legalistic. You won't be, no one's going to lean on you. No one's going to make you feel bad or guilty. Right? God loves a, je- uh, a cheerful giver. Can't give cheerfully. I always, I always say this. You can't give cheerfully today. Just go and buy a new shirt. Go and get a Big Mac. Just fine. Okay. Just don't give grumpily. Whatever you do. We don't want it. This is a celebration. It's a celebration. We really love giving. And just please get involved if you're going to enjoy it. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, so, but neither are we lax. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Give whatever I've got in my pocket. Okay, seven p. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. No, what? Yeah. If, if, 7P is the, 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 if 7P is, you're in a situation where things are just so tight, and that's like a widow's mite, that's, you've got that. I'll tell you what, that, you're giving more than anyone. Go for it. That is beautiful. But if your attitude is just like, oh, yeah, I haven't really given that enough thought, or, you know, I just rocked up, and, oh, yeah, or, you know. No, it's worship, man. This is big deal. It's as much as singing. It's as much as all the other stuff. Big deal, big deal, big deal. So we're to do gospel giving, which is, look how generous he's been. Let's try and reflect that in some way with how we give. Uh, fundamentally, the work we are about needs resourcing. So normally, while we do our normal offerings, it's just resourcing the work we do. So things like salaries for the people that, we've, uh, that we employ full-time. At the moment, I'm released uh, full-time to work for the church. Rich, two days a week. Sally, three days on admin, two days for CAP, our Christians Against Poverty uh, manager. That's at the moment... Uh, where the salaries 
um, go money wise and just to enter and to, and to resource ministries like CAP and the food bank and if, if gospel communities you know if they, if they need money you know we, we want to get behind we want to get behind that um, we, we use an office which we serve as a base we need to pay for that venue hire just cost money right so and it's all resourced from the church because that's the biblical pattern people's hearts are stirred they give to the work of God and it flourishes so we just follow that pattern that's, so everything is resourced from the church um, so, uh, and it's about, it's about discipleship, it's about just growing and maturing in the area of giving and finance and not letting it be a weird, creepy, freaky, superstitious thing, but just where you get your head around it, you get your heart around it, and you learn to trust God with your finances. If you're in debt at the moment, your priority is to get out of debt. Your priority is not to give. Now, you may want to, and we don't want to stop you, okay? But we want to say before God, your priority is to get out of debt, we want to help you do that. Okay, but you know, if you just feel no, God stirred me. I know I haven't got much, but I want to. Then, by all means, by all means. Uh, so we call people to commit to give to their local church, and um, some of you maybe don't give at all. We want to help walk you out of consumerism, help walk you out of just that place where you're not doing that because that's part of you. Um, that's part of you just learning to, learning to grow, that you just don't, you don't give, you just ignore it. When that bit, the money bit happens, you just sort of do that spiritually. We want to just help you out of that, um, just to see, well, just get started. And, and you know, there's this unusual passage in Malachi where God talks about giving and he says, test me in this. And it's funny because that's what it says, don't test God. So it seems like there's one thing because actually on that, and you, can, you can test me. There's something about God saying, I know this one really scares you. Just, just begin walking with me on it and watch, watch my faithfulness. He'll... Just take the little step, watch him be faithful. I want to encourage that. Some of you do give, but it's erratic. You don't, you know, you, you, you can't, there's no sense of kind of premeditated, responsible, mature giving. I want to encourage you onto the next step. Where you can start actually saying, no, you know what, first fruits, this, this is the first I'm just going to give to the purposes of God. I'm going to learn to do, to do that. That's what, that's what happens first. And then I, after that, I decide what, what happens with the rest. I want to encourage you into that. It's maturity. Um, Others of you give wonderfully, uh, consistently uh, and generously, and we just want to say to you, always just be bringing it before God. Not, you know, not every day, but I think it's one of those good things. Every year or so, just bring it against. Say, God, what, what, what are you saying about finances? Do we, you know? But we encourage people to for proportional giving that you decide an amount in your heart, like a, a percentage almost, or something where you say, God, I'm going to give that. It's responsible, and it means that we can really get more and more things done.